Good morning, everyone. So happy to see you all here today. Um, before we get into our scripture reading, I'm going to actually do a quick little activity. So just, uh, just go with me. I'm going to have Addie and Brady come on up on stage with me. If you don't know them, this is Addie and Brady. They're amazing. All right, I have a couple of questions for you guys. Let's make sure we can hear you. Okay, first of all, share with us what your favorite food or like favorite thing, favorite activity is. My favorite activity is All baseball. Day. Baseball. My favorite activity is soccer. Soccer. Okay. What would you guys do to get to that activity if it was like totally banned? What would you do for it? I'd do anything. Anything? <laughs> um, I'd work for it, like do chores and like, like Ooh. do things to earn it. It's very responsible of you, Addie. <laughs> Okay, Addie, what would you do to make Brady earn baseball? I'd make him work. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have a specific hours in mind? Is there a time frame? Like an hour a day of just like paper. Yeah, your, your chores, I'm assuming. Like all, all yeah, 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 okay, all right. Okay, Brady, what, what would you make Addie do? Honestly, I think I'd also make her work a little bit. Okay. Maybe a little bit more than an hour. More than an hour. Do you Maybe. have uh, a specific work in mind? That, yes. My room, probably. Okay, all right. The parents have spoken. The rooms need to be cleaned. Yes. Okay, all right. Okay, um, thank you both for sharing that this morning. Yeah, Brady, you can stay here for a minute. Okay. Now, Brady's going to lead us in our scripture reading this morning. Let's hear a reading this morning from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. Now a man named Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, because Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly because I must stay at your house today. So he came down quickly and welcomed Jesus joyfully. And when the people saw it, they all complained, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, half of my possessions I now give to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone of anything, I am paying them back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Brady. Let's take a moment of silence. Lord, we pray this morning that you would just open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. May it be a lamp unto our path. Amen. So let's step into the shoes of Zacchaeus for just a few minutes. I invite you to put yourself into this story this morning that you might think you know so well, that perhaps already you've got a little song playing over and over again in your head. <laughs> Have you ever walked into a room 
and you knew that nobody wanted you there. You were unwanted, you were unworthy, you were disliked, you were unloved. That was Zacchaeus's everyday life. No one talked to him, they whispered behind his back, they cursed him as he walked by. And it's no surprise, you can't fault them. He was public enemy number one. He was a traitor. He's working for the Roman oppressor. He's a head tax collector over other tax collectors. He was a very rich man. He took whatever he could get from others, and it didn't matter if it hurt them. His neighbors probably watched as Zacchaeus' house became more lavish, as he gained more slaves to order around, as his clothes became finer and his food became better. Everyone knew that this was their money, and he had no right to it, but everyone knew there was nothing they could do about it. After all, as Zacchaeus knows too well, whenever money starts to talk, it tends to shout louder than honesty and respect and human dignity. But one day, that changes forever. He had never met him, but he'd heard of him. The streets are buzzing with the news. Jesus is coming to town. Imagine hearing his name and having kind of wonder fill your body and a curiosity fill your mind. Jesus. They say he's healed the sick. They say he's calmed the stormy waves. They say he made the dead live again. He's talked to tax collectors before, tax collectors like Zacchaeus. Maybe Zacchaeus had even heard of Matthew. He was a tax collector too, but now he followed Jesus. Jesus let him follow him. Jesus invited him to follow him. A tax collector, a nobody, and an unwanted Maybe it was hope that took Zacchaeus there that day. Hope that he might just get a chance to see him, catch a glimpse. Maybe if he could see the way he walked or the way he talked, he could understand. Just one little look. There was a big crowd, one in the town and the one that had grown around Jesus and was following him. He was obviously headed towards Jerusalem. Some had said he might be the long-awaited Messiah. Maybe he would free all of us from the suffering of the Romans. After all, that blind man he had just healed right here in Jericho had called him the Son of Man. He must know something. So Zacchaeus joins the crowd, but he has to be careful. There are no Roman soldiers here in this mass of people who hate him. Something bad could happen to him, and no one was going to help him move to the front to see Jesus. What right did he have to even hope to see Jesus? He shouldn't be there. He didn't belong. And yet hope was there. He looks around and he sees a sycamore tree with big climbable branches. Branches that could hide him, but also maybe, just maybe, allow him to catch a glimpse of Jesus as he walked by. He's climbing, he's sitting, he's hiding, he's waiting. The time goes by. And finally he comes, the noise comes too. People are cheering. And maybe Zacchaeus wants to cheer too, but he can't. He's hiding. He can't be seen. But he was seen. Jesus reached the spot by this tree, and he stops. And he looks up. He sees this man in a tree. No more hiding. Jesus could see him. He didn't keep walking. He stands there for a moment. He's looking up at this man he's never met. He's never seen him before this moment. He's just chilling in a tree. And he speaks his name. 
He knew his name. And if he knows his name, he must know everything else about Zacchaeus. Everything. Every lie, every money swindled, all the money swindled, every hope, every hopelessness. Jesus saw right through the layers of graft and greed, of contempt of his neighbors. He had met tax collectors before. They could not resist the temptation to take more for themselves than they should. Jesus could see it, the sickness at the heart for which only he had the remedy. He didn't keep walking. He found Zacchaeus, and he called him by his name. And there, in the midst of a crowd that couldn't understand why he was even talking to him, Jesus declares that he is coming to Zacchaeus' house, his home. Zacchaeus had just wanted the honor of seeing Jesus, but Jesus honored Zacchaeus by really seeing him instead. That very day that Zacchaeus met Jesus, his life changed. Jesus didn't ask him to change, but how could he not? Jesus saw him, and in truly seeing him, made him see himself and how he was only living for himself. Now he would live for others. Now he would live for Jesus. He gives away so much. He paid back so much more than he stole from his neighbors in the crowd. A son of Abraham, Jesus calls him, a member of the family now. Zacchaeus was worthy and wanted and loved. He didn't need to hide in sycamore trees anymore. This is the moment where my son, or really any of our younger kids, if they were listening to my story, this is the moment that they would ruin the moment by taking my dramatic pause there and inserting some kind of question. Um, questions are good. We, we like the questions. But I can hear my son's voice in my mind. He'd go, hey, Mom, I have a question. And I'd be waiting, ready for the, the depth and the thoughtfulness. And he would probably say, it's a sycamore tree. But actually, what is a sycamore tree? <laughs> and why is Luke so specific here? Why does it matter that we know what kind of tree Zacchaeus used? Isn't just using the word tree enough? I actually have a picture of a Middle Eastern sycamore tree um, to show you guys. They're really cool. So it turns out that the sycamore tree isn't mentioned specifically in the Bible very often, maybe six or seven Old Testament references, though it is sometimes also referred to as a mulberry tree or like the sycamore fig tree. You know, the dictionaries say different things. And yet, in chapter 17, verse 6, just two chapters before the story, Jesus references this tree when he's talking about really big forgiveness, big forgiveness, lots of forgiveness. And he's telling the disciples that if they had just a mustard seed worth of faith, they could uproot this tree and tell it to grow in the ocean. Just a mustard seed's worth of faith. In chapter 18, just before Jesus begins the approach to Jericho, he informs his disciples in verse 25, in fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the, eyes, through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then we're introduced to Zacchaeus, a mustard seed of a man hiding in a sycamore tree. A man in need of miraculous 
forgiveness. The supposedly nearly impossible, a very rich man entering God's kingdom, moved to repentance and forgiven by both God and hopefully his community. I understand why this story has become song and and video and, and all these things. I mean, kids can really easily relate to Zacchaeus. They know what it's like to be in the back of a crowd, unable to see anything and not able to do much about it. Those of you who are maybe also short in stature might also know what this feels like. Adults, too, can relate to Zacchaeus. We might want to get closer to Jesus. We might be curious, but we might find it embarrassing to do so or even costly. What are we willing to do for the things we want most? How far are we willing to go? Will we clean our rooms? Possibly. This narrative is the final piece of a kind of framing that Luke is doing as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. Nothing is impossible with God. This kind of healing of new life is what Jesus has come to bring. This is the kind of king he is right here. And this is the kind of kingdom that he's bringing. If only the people of Jerusalem could see this truth and make the same response as Zacchaeus. I think sometimes it's been a little too easy to take this story and kind of simplify it into cute songs and lessons. And it's a good story. I get it. But as I was reading through this part of Luke of Jesus' time here in Jericho, I found that I couldn't just read Zacchaeus appreciate its cuteness, and set it aside for deeper things. Instead, I found myself really caught by Zacchaeus' response to Jesus. I really love all of the dinner table narratives found in the Gospels, and there, there are quite a few in Luke, as you may have noticed. Jesus is always relaxing in the company of the wrong people. He's always breaking customs or doing certain customs the wrong way. Jesus uses these as opportunities to teach and correct. We might think of other table stories that Luke has already put forth, maybe like the prodigal son and other stories that you can think of. And yet here, there's no parable. The tax collector speaks for himself in public, and he gives evidence of his extravagant repentance and restoration, a restoration that definitely left him with a seriously reduced wealth. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's found something more valuable. Today I will stay at your house becomes today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus' huge response is really no surprise, given the grace and freedom that he has received in Jesus. I think it's this grace and freedom that makes me stop and ponder this story. Putting myself in Zacchaeus' shoes, seeing the story from his eyes, causes me to reflect on the profound grace and freedom that I have received in Jesus. The grace and freedom that we can all find in Jesus. And this fills me with a kind of gratitude that I can't, I really, I can't even put it into words. I, I can't describe it. Probably poets better than I can. If you've been tracking with us just a little bit through Luke, you'll have noticed pretty quickly that Jesus is a friend to the poor and the oppressed. Zacchaeus shows us that Jesus is also a friend of the rich, even the rich oppressor. There is no stereotype of justice here, where the poor are always befriended and the rich are always condemned. There's no economic stratosphere 
in Jesus's justice. In his commentary on Luke, theologian James Edward writes this. The fellowship of Jesus is not offered as vindication for the poor and condemnation of the rich, but as good news of great joy to all who are lost, whether poor or rich. Grace is forever scandalous because it is forever undeserved. It is doubly scandalous for Zacchaeus, a rich oppressor who seems so much less deserving of grace. Grace is a scandal because it insists on including those whom we wish to exclude. A few months ago, Levi, um, my son, he's eight, and we were having one of those little like heart-to-heart conversations that we as parents really love um, and don't happen often enough and we cherish them. We were talking about kindness. Um, kindness, growing in kindness has been kind of, is kind of a goal of my, well, goal's too strong a word, is a, <laughs> an interest of my son's. <laughs> um, he would like to become more kind, but it doesn't become, it's not, it's not natural to him. It, it doesn't come easily or naturally to him. Um, he has a lot of strengths in other ways. But he finds himself discouraged when he knows he's messed up and he hasn't been kind. And with a lot of emotion, he turns to me and he asks me, why are you so kind, Mom? Why are you never unkind to anybody? So nice. <laughs> I mean, so nice to be seen. Just kidding. Someday, when he's no longer eight, he will see all of my flaws and imperfections. But that moment wasn't really the time to list all of those things. We're talking about not me. So instead, I told him that Jesus is a big reason why I'm kind to others, that he's taught me, he's shown me how to be kind, and he helps me every day. And when I mess up, he forgives me, and he gives me another chance to try again. I thought that was a pretty good answer. <laughs> Levi sits up real straight, turns and looks right at me, and he goes, with great skepticism, what does Jesus have to do with any of this? It was a unique moment for me <laughs> where I found myself both questioning my parental and pastoral skills all at one time. And because my brain kind of stuttered a little bit, I just kind of went, I mean, everything, buddy. Jesus has everything to do with this. I'm sure I, too, will have future chances to uh, answer better. Take a look at this candle. It's like any other object in here, the chair, the floor, the table. It's lifeless. You could throw it away in the trash right now. Nobody would care. We get another candle. But when I light the candle, I'm going to ask you to turn off the lights for just one minute, Mike. It's totally different. The flames of these candles draw our eyes. We don't want to look away. We want to watch it. The candle now behaves differently. It's changed. If we threw it away now, we'd possibly light the trash can on fire. And all because of a fire source. All because of a lighter. You can turn the lights back on, Mike. Kiddos, you can come on in. Jesus makes all the difference to Zacchaeus, to you and to me. His grace changes everything. It makes dead things come to life. And he wants to do this for you 
and for me. He can do this for you and for me because of what's coming up very soon in Luke with Jesus' dusty climb up the road to Jerusalem. Very soon, Jesus spending time at tables with sinners is going to become Jesus going out to die with criminals. But the same reason is behind both actions. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So we have this awesome kids book at my house. And as I was just kind of thinking about Jesus' grace this past week, it kind of brought it to the front of my mind. Um, So with our kids back in the room with us this morning, if you don't indulge me, I'd like to end today by reading it to you together. And I did put the pictures up on the screen for you so you can be entertained by the story today. It's called Sophie and the Heidelberg Cat. The Heidelberg Cat is kind of an inside joke for theologians, a little bit of a wink, wink, nod, nod, but for those of us who are not theology nerds, everybody else but Mike and Stephen, let me explain. This book is based on the Heidelberg Catechism, which was a Christian document written in Germany in 1563. Uh, The Heidelberg Catechism is based on your typical catechism outline, question, answer, question, answer, and outlines just really important things about Christian doctrine. So this little book is inspired by the first question in the Christian catechism, but enough about that. Let's get to the story. If you want to know more, find me later. Okay, so I will try and cue you with book pictures. Sophie and the Heidelberg Cat. Sophie is crying. Her sister Michaela has broken her dollhouse and nobody cares. To make matters worse, she's pushed over her sister, then yelled at her parents and stormed up the stairs. She looks out the window and sees on the chimney the cat from the Heidelberg's house next door. She stares at it when, to her utter amazement, it suddenly asks her, you're crying, what for? Sophie is very surprised, but she knows that you cannot tell lies to a talking cat. Michaela just broke my new dollhouse, she says, so I gave her a shove and I knocked her down flat. Then I screamed at my parents and ran to my room, and now I feel guilty for doing all that. In fact, I feel worse about me than the dollhouse. What do you mean? asks the Heidelberg cat. Well, Sophie whispers, I've upset Michaela, I've upset my mom, and I've upset my dad. And worst of all, I've even upset God. And the Bible says that means I'm really bad. The cat puts its paws on the windowsill, grins, and says, Sophie, let's go for a rooftop walk. Quick as a flash, Sophie climbs out the window. She knows you say yes to a cat that can talk. Scrambling up tiles and walking down roofs, they peer into houses and gardens and chat. The birds in the skies raise their eyes in surprise at a girl at the roof with a talking cat. Right, says the cat. You just mentioned the Bible. So what do you think it is trying to say? Easy, says Sophie. It's trying to tell me how we can please God and be kind and obey. Be bold like King David. Be brave like Queen Esther. And do what God tells you no matter how scary. Don't fight him like Pharaoh or trick him like Judas. Be patient like Paul and courageous like Mary. The cat looks at Sophie, and are you, it asks. Not really, says Sophie, at least not for long. That's why I was crying before. It's so hard to be good all the time, and it always goes wrong. Aha, says the cat, let me tell you a secret. There's no one who can. 
not your mom or your dad, your friends or your neighbors, and even your teacher when no one can see is surprisingly bad. <laughs> Look round the street. Mrs. Gubbins is rude. The Macintosh children are always in fights. The pastor gets angry. The shopkeeper's proud. And the Joneses have horrible quarrels at night. Sophie looks puzzled. That's awful, she says. What hope is there if things are really like that? She sits on a chimney and stares at the sky. I'm so glad you asked, says the Heidelberg cat. The Bible tells stories of hundreds of people, and all of them disobey God, except one. So hope doesn't come from the good things we do. It comes as a gift from what Jesus has done. You've trusted him, so he's paid for your sins and thrown them all in the depths of the sea. By rising again, he has broken the power of death and the devil and let you go free. He watches your life. He makes all things work out. He helps you make choices. He tells you what's true. He promises you'll live forever. And that's why the hope comes from him and not from you. Sophie sits still to make sure the cat's finished. She has enough questions to talk for a week, but knows very well, as I'm sure you do too, that you always leave time for a cat that can speak. I'd better go home, Sophie finally says, and tell them I'm sorry, but thanks for the talk. I'm so looking forward to telling my friends that I spoke to a cat and we went for a walk. One other thing you should know, says the cat, as it silently crosses the tiles on all fours. The best and most comforting news in the world is that I am not mine, and you are not yours. Sophie is shocked. What on earth do you mean? Well, look at the tag on my neck, says the cat. It tells you my name. Then it tells you my owners. The Heidelbergs bought me. I'm theirs, and that's that. The same goes for you. You've been rescued by Jesus, so he is your master from now till you die. He'll love you, protect you, and never neglect you. But you're not your own, Sophie, and neither am I. At last they arrive, right outside Sophie's window. She clambers back in with her hand on the slat. When will I see you again, Sophie asks. I'm not sure you will, says the Heidelberg cat. But to help you remember our first conversation, I'll give you my tag with my name, just in case. With that, it goes back to the Heidelberg's chimney. Sophie looks down at the tag. It says grace. pray. Lord, we come to you this morning filled with gratitude, thankfulness at the grace that we have been given, that we do not deserve, but that you offer freely. God, whatever you did to transform Zacchaeus' heart, do it in us every day, each morning. Make your mercies new in our hearts, in our lives. We love you. Amen.